Well, good morning. If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible and open up the book of 1 Peter. We're going to start out with a reading this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. First Peter 3, verses 8 through 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this to bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and let his lips from speaking deceit. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I appreciate your kind attention this morning, and I appreciate each and every one of you being here. If you consider yourself a visitor this morning, we just want to say welcome, and we are glad that you are here with us. If you're a member of the Body of Christ, we're certainly glad to see you back um, back here at La Prada. You know, recently something that we went through here at La Prada is a series over apologetics. And if you're not familiar with the word apologetics, it comes from this word here, apologia, which is in 1 Peter 3.15, make a defense for the faith. Literally, it means we're in court, and I'm an attorney, and I'm defending the gospel. It means we make a reasoned defense for why we believe what we believe. Apologetics is extremely important, okay? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. So in this series, and by the way, it's all on the website. So if you haven't got a chance, I would recommend go on the website, check out these sermons. We talked about science. We talked about manuscript evidence. We talked about history. We talked about logic and philosophy. Okay? Apologetics is so important, and there is an abundance of evidence for why we believe what we believe as Christians. But our focus today is going to be this final portion of the Scripture. I didn't get much attention during our apologetic series. With gentleness and respect. What I want to really focus on this morning is this idea that your message is only as effective as the method in which you present that message with. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You know, the book of 1 Peter is all about spreading the word. That's what 1 Peter is about. It's about us as the church coming together as living stones on top of Christ, who is the cornerstone, and then we are laid upon him as living stones in such a way that we are built up into this big, beautiful church. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells inside of us all. But what's the point? Is it the point for us to be big, you know, built up into this big church? No, the point is for us to go out and effectively spread the word of God, to evangelize. That's the point. 
I want to show you a little bit of First Peter real quick. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why do we wage war against the sin in our hearts? Why do we keep our conduct good and pure? It's so that outsiders will glorify God. That's the whole purpose of this thing. Verse 13 through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. King James Version, I think, says king. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should be put to silence. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What's the point? Guys, I don't want to submit to the government. I don't. I certainly don't want to bow down before an emperor. But what's the point of us as Christians submitting to the government? It's about evangelism. It's about putting to shame and silencing the mouths of foolish people. That's why we do what we do. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and conduct. Guys, this isn't a popular verse today. Okay, it's not. But what's the purpose of this instruction? It's so that unbelieving husbands will be converted. This whole thing is about evangelism, okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's the book of 1 Peter in a nutshell. We must defend the faith, and we must be ready to give an answer. But the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, are we going about it in the right way? When it comes to evangelism in our lives, are we doing things for the right reasons? Are we going about it in the correct way? You know, and something we're going to focus on a lot this morning is the Christian response to disagreement. You know, across the world today, we, we can't agree about on anything, certainly not gentleness and respect. Across the world, people struggle with this so deeply. You know, we can be rude, we can be disrespectful, I can be mean, all in the defense of the truth. I mean, just in an effort to try and communicate my ideas to another person, I can be a punk. And so we've got to be careful on the words we choose and the way we communicate with people. And how often do we allow things like political disagreements or sports teams to get in the way of our love for one another? I'll tell you what, this morning I love my sports teams. I do. I know you love your sports teams as well. But do we ever allow those things to get in the way of the gospel? Do we ever allow those things to get in the way of being built on top of one another as a big, beautiful church, as living stones on top of Christ? The point here is our unity in Christ must be stronger than our differences. I'll give you an example real quick. 2016 to 2020 was kind of a rough period in my life. And you can ask the people I lived with during that time period. You can ask my wife. We got married during that time period. And... All I talked about during this time period was politics. That was my number one focus. Everywhere I went, politics, politics, politics. Guys, no one wants to hear it. And it's not how we build relationships with people. Okay, if we go around bashing people over the head. I mean, guess how much work I got done in the kingdom during this time period? Not very much. Okay? So we need to remember, where is our focus? We need to constantly be asking ourselves, what's my focus? Where's my priorities at? 
Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Where is our focus today? Is our focus on disagreement at all costs? Or is our focus on what matters most? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Did you walk in wisdom this week? How was your time management? You know, as Christians, we're called to be a productive people. We got to be productive. Why? It's about evangelism. And guess what? We only have a limited amount of time on this earth, so we have got to get get to work. Now, don't get me wrong. From a moral perspective, I have a lot of opinions on politics and a lot of opinions on religion. And I may disagree very strongly with certain people. I mean, I'll tell you, abortion and things like LGBTQ are against the gospel. They are against the message of Christ. But just because I disagree religiously or politically with somebody, it doesn't mean I have to be a jerk. Okay? And I'm not going to change anyone's minds that way either. Will I win anyone over to Christ by being a complete rude person? We can't respond to unchristian things in an unchristian way. Okay? You know, something that's interesting that I've kind of started thinking more about as my career progresses in the law enforcement industry. I'm a salesman, by the way. I sell software to police departments. So I call police chiefs, I call sheriffs all day long and talk to them about their policies and procedures. We've got to update these things. They need up-to-date policies so they don't get sued. Okay? Well, one of these things is duty to intercede. And this is the standard across the law enforcement industry right now, duty to intercede. And what this basically says is that an officer has a duty. If they see another officer doing something they shouldn't be doing, they have a duty to say something, to, to do something. Okay? Duty to intercede. You know, we as Christians also have a duty to intercede. We intercede out of love. Okay? It's because when we see something bad that's going on, out of love, we have to speak up and say something. Now, it's not because we want to win arguments, but it's because we love people. And when we speak up, we need to ask ourselves. I mean, for instance, when someone new comes into the building or in my life, when I meet a new person, where's my focus? Is my relationship with them based on disagreement? What do we disagree on? Or is it based on commonality? You know, when I talk to people, am I just talking about what I want to talk about? I'm very guilty of this, man. I'll talk your ear off on politics if you let me. This whole new AI thing. I'll talk your ears off about it if you let me, okay? But whenever we come in contact with people in the world, where's our focus? Is it on relationship? Are we listening? Are we conversing? Are we engaging people? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We read there, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You know, athletes, they discipline their bodies. They exercise self-control. And they're, they're faithful to the competition that an athlete participates in. I used to do shot put and discus. 
And I love shot putting discus, right? And there's a lot of practice to each and every movement you make with that shot when you're throwing it, with that discus. We also have to discipline our own bodies, discipline the way we talk, discipline the way we act, okay? And if we're faithful, what we're going to do is we're going to forget about those things in our past and we're going to strive and reach out to those new things in our life in Christ. But, you know, discipline takes a lot of work. It does. You know, being focused and staying on track, paying attention, pressing on and not getting distracted, that's a lot of work. Those things are hard. And you know as well as I do, when I get distracted in my life, what happens? Suddenly, I become a slave to my flesh again. You know, Paul describes the life as someone ruled by their body, as someone who is aimless in their life choices. They're just beating the air. There's no purpose. There's no direction. Is our tongue that same way? No purpose and no direction. Christians, we must not disqualify ourselves by the words we choose. It's important that when we decide to go ahead and speak up with one of these relationships that we've built out in the world, when we decide to speak up, it's important that we use self-control. And when we speak, it's important that we season that speech with salt and that we use graciousness and wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says, Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And James chapter 1 verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, part of seasoned speech and part of wisdom is having the ability to take a step back and think. Okay? Reflect on things. Be quick to hear. Okay? You're always listening. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Okay? Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Think about things before they come out of your mouth. And don't get riled up either when someone disagrees with you. Be slow to anger. Guys, you know the old adage. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. How true is this in our discussion today? Why would anyone ever listen to you if they can't stand being around you in the first place? Why would anyone listen to anything you have to say if they don't even want to be around you? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Guys, this whole thing is about love. That's our purpose. That's why we do what we do. That's why we stand up for truth. We have a duty to intercede as Christians. We do. But if that truth doesn't come alongside love, then what's the point? There's no profit for anybody. If we don't put those two things together, there's no gain. We have to marry knowledge with love in our lives. Our message is is only as good as our method. Please remember that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, do nothing for selfish ambition. 
This is so hard for me. And I'm assuming many of us struggle with this. Selfish ambition. I'll tell you, that baby right there has helped me a little bit with selfish ambition, a little bit. But I'll tell you, that baby, man, I've never met anyone as selfish as her. The little kids are so selfish, man. They don't care what you got going on. I need my diaper changed. I want to go to bed. I want a bottle. I want you to pick me up out of the bed. I want you to hold me. Selfish. Me and Bailey haven't gotten one thank you yet. But you realize that as we grow up and we start to understand how to interact out in the world with people, we realize that all this is about love and give and take. That's what building relationships is about. Okay? And if we want to love and if we want relationship with people, we have to learn to care for others and those around us. We have to focus on entering love relationships with people, not based on disagreement, but on commonality. Then hopefully, one day, that person that you've developed a relationship will come to the saving grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ because of the love that you showed them. That's what this is all about. For the next few moments this morning, I want to talk to you about something. I call it contextualizing the gospel, which sounds kind of weird. Okay, but please bear with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak... I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. What's the first verse say? What's the point? I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Okay, we're not trying to win arguments, folks. We're trying to win souls to Christ. That's the whole point of this thing. And what's Paul saying here? He's telling us, is he telling us to be deceptive? You know, with the Jews, I'm acting one way, but then I come over here with the Greeks and Gentiles and I'm acting another way? No, that's not what he's telling us. What he's telling us is that depending on our audience, he will present the gospel to someone. He will present himself in a way to someone that he can relate to the people around him. He's trying to relate to people and build those relationships. You know, last year, some of us went to a leadership conference, and that was focused on evangelism, okay? It was focused on uh, developing future evangelists. And one thing that we heard several times is that our evangelists are looking for young men to go out into the workforce for a few years before they get into the, into the evangelistic work. Why? It's because we want people who know how to talk to people. We want you to go out into the workforce and learn how to communicate, get some stories, understand how to relate with people in the world. You've got to be a real person if you're going to go out and save souls for Christ to be able to relate to people. And it's important that we can be relational. This morning, real quick, we want to go through three examples of contextualizing the gospel, and then we'll close. But first, we're going to talk about Paul on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is traveling on a missionary journey, going and spreading the word. And at one point, he comes to Athens, Greece. And that's where we pick up today in the 16th verse. 
Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be here. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Why did they want to hear Paul? It's because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. They say, man, this is something we've never heard of before. The resurrection? We want to hear more. Tell us, Paul. And so they grab him, and they now bring him into the Areopagus. He's on Mars Hill now. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you were very religious. The King James Version says, superstitious. For I passed along and observed the object of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. You see, Paul is meeting them on their level. He is being relational. He compliments them. He says, guys, I see how religious y'all are. I know you care about this stuff. He's commending them. And then he says, you know, he's relating to them now, and he points to this altar over, and he says, guys, I, I get it. I know what you're doing. I understand it. Let me tell you more. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. You see, suddenly he's even pointing to their own poets. He says, guys, you know this. You know it. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul begins and ends with what? Jesus and the resurrection. Is this how we present the gospel to people in our world? I mean, yes, we have disagreement. And yes, we've we've got to talk about sin and we've got to talk about disobedience. But you know, if you can help someone come in contact with Jesus Christ and they can develop a true relationship with Christ our Lord, then all this other stuff is going to take care of itself. Okay? So let's go out and teach people about Christ and develop those relationships. Let's point them to Jesus and the resurrection. Another example I want to look at to you quickly this morning is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. This is now 50 days after Jesus has been crucified on the cross. And now all the Jews have gathered back together there at Jerusalem. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, the apostles have now been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are now going out and preaching the Word of God in everyone's common tongue that's there to listen. And you can see it. People are just gathering around because these people are just, they're speaking and I'm hearing them in my own tongue. And at this point in his speech, Peter then points to the prophetic words of Joel. He's relating to them. Guys, you care about this. You care about the prophets. You're Jews. And he points to Joel. And then in verse 22, he says, 
men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up and loosing the pains of death because it is not impossible for him to be held by it. So where did Peter start? Well, first he started with the prophet Joel, and then he went to Jesus in the resurrection. Do you see where his focus is at? I mean, this is what the poll point. Paul, in Greece, talks about the prophets. He points to the altar of inscription. He's talking about logic and philosophy. What does Peter do here? I mean, he's doing something completely different. He's meeting them on their own level, where they're at. So he brings up the prophets and the law, and then he uses that to point to Jesus. You see, would it have been effective for Peter here to talk about philosophy and poetry? No. But, what, that's what, but Peter goes right into the law and the prophets. Verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. You know, these people knew Joel, they knew David, I mean, they knew the patriarch David, They're grown, they grew up on it in synagogue. And now Paul is bringing it all back around, he's relating to them with what they care about. Verse 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now on a separate note this morning from the sermon, I do want to ask, have you been baptized today? Have you taken care of what you need to take care of to be in relation with your holy God? Do you see what we're getting out here, though, with this passage and what Peter's doing? Peter goes to what the Jews knew that day. So he talks about the law and the prophets. He relates to them. He goes, guys, these are promises that were made to your people, the prophets and the law. And now he points them to Jesus. The last example we'll look at this morning is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You can find this in Acts chapter 8. In verse 26, though, an angel comes to Philip and says, Hey, i got some directions for you. I need you to go out here, follow these directions, and you're going to end, out, uh, end up out in the desert. Okay? And so Philip jumps up and he goes and does what the angel told him. Verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his, this chariot. Okay, so we're going to paint the picture real quick. You see this chariot's coming along. You're out in the desert. And you see that there's this really rich guy. He's an important dude. He's a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And he's in this chariot. And guess what he's doing? He's got laid out in front of him a scroll of Isaiah. I mean, that, that was valuable. And what's this guy doing? He's just reading it like a normal person riding around in a, tr- in a chariot. And so what are you going to do in this situation if you're Philip? When you engage with this guy, where are you going? Remember, he's already reading Isaiah. 
Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Guess what Philip did? He didn't talk about poetry. He didn't talk about David. He didn't talk about Joel, right? He went right to where that guy was at. He met him there. And he talked about Isaiah. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. We need to focus on doing the same thing in our ministries. We all have our own personal ministry going on. And I recommend we take some notes from the apostles here. Meet people where they are at and then point them to Jesus. What does this mean for us? Everyone here today is at a different place spiritually in your life. We all are. And depending on where someone is spiritually, I may take a conversation with them in a certain direction. And the way I present the gospel, guys, to an atheist is much different than the way I present the gospel to someone who grew up in the church or a visitor who walked in, usually attends at a church down the street. The way I present it to them is going to be much different. You know, for the atheist, guys, I'm not even cracking open the Bible just yet because I've got some foundations I've got to lay in apologetics. I'm going to talk about, is there a God? Is there truth? And if there is truth, then what is it? We've got to ask some important questions and we've got to lay some foundations. Now, that's not the case, thankfully, for Philip and the eunuch here. So what does Philip do? He opens up at that scripture in Isaiah And he points from there to Christ. And what was the eunuch's response? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know, it's beautiful to see the word of God in action. And I hope this morning, if you haven't obeyed the Word of God, that you're asking yourself that same question. What prevents you from being baptized today? To the body of Christ, how do we present the message of the gospel? Are we taking notes? Is this how we do it as well? You know, defending the faith is so important. And having the ability to give an answer to anyone who asks you a question... I mean, imagine the work you could do if you have that ability to give an answer. Apologetics is very important, and and I I appreciate y'all's guys' attention during that apologetics series, because this is stuff we all need to know, especially our young people. But let us not forget why those things are important. Why is defending the faith important? Why is meeting people where they're at so important? Well, like the book of 1 Peter shows us, it's all about evangelism. It's all about the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of an age. Guys, your message is only as effective as the method that you present it with. And when we communicate with outsiders, let us remember to use seasoned speech. Let's remain in control of our tongue. Let's be wise in the words we choose. And let's make the best use of our time. Let's work hard this week for the kingdom.
Let's meet people where they are at. Where are you at this morning? Like I said, we're all on different spiritual walks. We're all at different places in our race. So where are you? Have you obeyed the gospel? And maybe you've got some sin in your life that you need to talk about, you need to take care of. Or maybe you haven't come into contact yet with Christ. And maybe we need to lay some foundations. Let's do that. Let's start to talk about it. Let's have those conversations, okay? Or maybe you're ready to take that next step and die with Christ in the act of baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life. Guys, we're all going to stand before our Creator someday. And you can stand before God in your own filthy rags that are disgusting, covered in your own sin. Or when you stand before your Creator, you can be clean. And you can stand before Him robed in the blood of Jesus Christ. If there be one of either case, we ask that you come to the front, take a seat on this front pew as we stand and as we sing. Jesus